It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. Thanks so much for tuning in. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. Multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. 973-667-1960 is the telephone number. You can also interact and follow the both of us on Twitter. I'm at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. As a reminder, you can find the archive of the show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we will recap Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman's media sessions regarding free agency as they just got done. So we'll tell you the ins and outs that came out of that, the main storylines. And then, of course, a little bit later on, we'll get to your phone calls as well as your tweets. Paul, how's everything on your end? Doing all right, Lance. Thanks very much uh, for asking. Hope the same for you. And it was uh, good to at least hear from Judge and Gettleman today. At least a little bit of Giants football in the air. And, of course, 60-degree weather doesn't uh, hurt either in the metropolitan area. Absolutely. Signs of improvement across the board. Let's uh, delve into the X's and O's from a football standpoint. And I don't necessarily, if anything, earth-shattering came out of these sessions, but a lot of topics were addressed. Clearly, one of the big topics is impending free agency. The Giants have Leonard Williams and Dalvin Tomlinson scheduled to be free agents. Today at 4 p.m. Eastern is the deadline to hand out the franchise tag. There have been some reports sprinkled out there, nothing official from the Giants, that the Giants could very well tag Leonard Williams. Dave Gettleman did not confirm anything at this point. But Joe Judge was asked about those two players, Paul, and he spoke very highly of both of them. He talked about the importance of getting after the quarterback in this league. And the one thing he highlighted about Dalvin Tomlinson, and this is something that you and I have talked about on previous shows, he emphasized this is a guy that if you look at the numbers, the stats alone doesn't necessarily do justice. And it seems as if they're not falling into the trap of, well, a guy must have five sacks in order to warrant giving him a new contract. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He looks at Tomlinson as not just being a productive football player because of what he does to enhance his teammates' value, but also the fact that he is an outstanding locker room guy. And I I can't stress enough how much we heard from both Judge and Gettleman today. There was overlap in terms of they want guys who fit this locker room. They want guys who are giants. And you remember the Super Bowl team when Justin Tuck created the mantra of all in and Coughlin always preached team first. Well, you know, that's what we're seeing and hearing from this administration. It's this Gettleman-Judge combination that is insisting that that part of the component is just as important as any other part of the player's portfolio. They want, in an ideal world, all the free agents back. If they can try to duplicate the makeup of last year's roster, unfortunately, we don't live in an ideal world, so players are going to come and go. But it does look as if, at least from a value standpoint, based on, to me, at least my takeaway, what Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman both said, there is value in bringing back both Leonard Williams and Dalvin Tomlinson. Whether or not the numbers cooperate and the market works out remains to be seen. But Joe Judge did place an emphasis on he understands it's important to stop the run, 
but they also know that they have to continually get after the quarterback. And one of the things that he was asked as a follow-up question, Paul, was why does he think the pass rush improves specifically in the second half of the season? Because they did finish with a nice volume of sacks compared to the previous year. And he said, listen, it's a variety of factors. He said he felt that the scheme played a role, but he also credited the secondary. He felt the coverage on the back end contributed immensely to why they were consistently able to get after the quarterback last season. Yes, I, and you know what? But This is not exactly a secret. We, we often said that the back end has to help the front end, and when the Giants went into opening day last year, in fact, we talked about it even going into last year's draft, that – Without a Batman and Robin combination pass rush duo, they were going to have to get improved play from the secondary. We talked about how the Patriot way was, in fact, to get improved play from the secondary to help the defense get better, which in reality, that's kind of what happened when you think about it, Lance. It was the combination of an enhanced uh, core of defensive backs with the breakout season by Leonard Williams and the schematics of Patrick Graham. A combination of all three things allowed the Giants to have what I believe was a functional and certainly adequate pass rush. Would you like it to be better? Would you like to have a big gun? There's no question. They still do need a Batman pass rusher. I think Leonard Williams is right there on the edge of being one, but then who's the Robin? So they don't really have the the two-headed monster, so to speak. But on the whole... How could we argue that, you know, against the fact that the pass rush was significantly better, regardless of whatever the numbers say, it was significantly better than it was the year before? There was definitely more consistency. I think you went into games this year having a little bit better idea of what you perhaps could get out of the defensive front. Whereas there were games the previous season, you could have a four sack game and then the following week you could have nothing. So I don't think there was as much fluctuation, I guess is what I would argue, with respect to the numbers this season. Let's stay in the trenches before we expand to some other subjects. The offensive line clearly came up. Dave Gettleman, I would say, was asked more about it than necessarily Joe Judge, though Joe Judge was asked about Nate Solder, and he said that they've had conversations with Nate Solder, but he said the majority of the conversations have not been about football. It's been more actually about life. But what he did emphasize and you could read into this all you want, Paul, is the fact that Nate Solder and Kevin Zeitler are currently under contract. And I've been emphasizing that all along with both of the players. So Joe Judge essentially echoed those sentiments. He didn't comment on anything about whether or not they're going to restructure contracts, whether or not they're going to let go of those guys. But he emphasized, he said, they are both on the roster under contract. So read into that as you wish. But it seems as if there's no indication at this point that they're itching to part ways with those two guys. Well, he did give one additional crumb there, Lance, and he kind of slipped it in the, at the back end of his conversation about Solder when he did say there are other people in the building he's talked to as well. And that would indicate he's talked to the front office upstairs. And I think that tells you that there has been conversation about his future and about his contract status and how they anticipate that they're going to move forward. So I do think there's a little bit more there than just having the coach and him discuss, uh, you know, what color flowers are growing in the garden. Well, I guess what I'm saying is I don't really think they need to make necessarily a decision tomorrow. 
about Nate Solder. It's possible they may see how things play out, especially based on their needs to address other players. Because one of the things Dave Gettleman constantly emphasized was they're still waiting to know exactly what cap number they're dealing with. And... You know, if I can interrupt for just a second, though, Lance, just yesterday, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network had come out and said that because the cap number had not been solidified, there was a chance they were even going to move the tagging deadline back Correct. a few yeah. days. And here it is now, 125 in the afternoon in New York time as we sit here to tape this program and go live out on Giants.com. And the number has been established. So we've got less than three hours to go to the supposed tag deadline, and no one has either given a number out or officially announced that the league is moving the days back. Both things remain very possible, and I have no idea which way it's going to go. How could the Giants know? Well, because the other factor that could influence whether or not they move the tag deadline back is the fact that there's some speculation that some of these new TV contracts could be finalized, and then with the influx of new money, maybe that raises the cap. Now, I think sure. that's a little bit of wishful thinking that may have more of an impact in years moving forward as opposed to specifically this season, but that was part of the whispers now, and that's maybe why they're not going to have a hardcore deadline at 4 p.m. Eastern later today. Though, based on the reports, it seems most teams are trying to get their books in order and determine who exactly they want to tag. But getting back to the offensive line, whether those two guys are going to be in their long-term plans hasn't been solidified. It's just I don't think that they necessarily have to make a decision with those guys. I guess what I'm saying is, by tomorrow. As far as the entire makeup and progress of the line, Dave Gettleman emphasized this group is still very young, and he was even pressed upon that, and his response when told, well, if Solder and Zeitler return, can you really argue there's youth? And he said, well, you're still talking about a center that is going to be a second-year starter, and it would be his fourth season in the NFL. You're talking about potentially a left guard that would be entering his second year, and you could have two rookies in 2020 that could be your starting tackles in 2021. So no matter how you spin it, the majority of the offensive line, I think it's fair to say, does classify as a youth movement as opposed to polished veterans at this stage. Well, I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, I I did not understand the question and the remark and the comment. You looked at last year's line, and, you know, I get it. You know, Zeitler's the grandpappy of the bunch, if you will. And I guess the next oldest guy would have would have – you know, been a one-year hit in terms of Cam Fleming. I don't know that he's coming back or not because, as you alluded to, when he was also asked about would you start Thomas and Parrott at at the two tackle spots going into opening day week one, how do you feel about it? And he said, I'm fine with that. So so potentially, I, I, I don't know if that's a hint or not as to whether or not Fleming's coming back. I've said all along, I believe the plan would be for Parrott to compete, and in all likelihood they'd want him to win that job, which would mean if Fleming does come back, I think they'd like him to be the swing tackle. I, that, that's how I would see it. But that doesn't mean that's how Dave Gettleman sees it. He wasn't offering any more information. But no matter how you look at that, I mean, Cam Fleming is not 35 years old. So even if he is back and he does beat Parrott out at right tackle, I don't consider him old by any means. Heck, if he is... Then, then I'm as old as a dinosaur. I mean, give well, me a break. Well, debated, but yes. Yeah, okay. I know, I know, I know. But, I mean, seriously, Lance, where, where does that question come from? Even Zeitler's, what, 31 years old in a league where offensive linemen often play into their late 30s? 
I'm completely with you. That's why I wanted to bring that up and, and further dissect that a bit. Here's the other thing that I would argue. If you want to claim that there are some veterans on this offensive line, you can also say, well, those veterans haven't really been a part of this Giants offensive line for many years. So that's more of a reason why it's still a work in progress because Zeitler just came aboard. Zeitler hasn't necessarily been here for five years. So you take that into consideration, then you have to tack on the fact that he then had to play next to new faces over the course of this season, guys that he had not lined up with consistently over the last few years. So I could tell you, hey, you have one guy on your offensive line who's a polished veteran, who has been in the league for, let's say, to me, I'd say minimum five years, okay, if you want to use that as criteria. Well, but if you're a veteran offensive lineman, who have you been next to over the last few years? Did they put a rookie next to you last year? Have you played next to the mm-hmm. next, the same center for three or four years? I mean, that does change the dynamics of how an offensive line is constructed and how you would best classify it. You know, I don't like to necessarily throw out numbers to make a case, but in some instances, it's the only way that you can get a simplistic person to totally understand what the deal is. But how could one not see the improvement of the Giants' offensive line When you look at the fact that last year, with Wayne Gallman as their primary running back, they averaged nearly four and a half yards per carry on the ground, which was good enough for 13th in the the National Football League. 32 teams in the league, and they were 13th with basically a second-string running back being the primary ball carrier. If Saquon Barkley's carrying the ball, they're averaging a hell of a lot more than four and a half yards a carry, and they're probably in the top five or six in terms of running the ball instead of at 13. So, so let's get that part of it clear. Let's get another part of this thing clear. You're talking about significant snaps for Thomas and for Lemieux, even if you want to ignore the fact that Pert didn't play very much as a rookie you got to say that Nick Gates virtually was a rookie because he was a brand-new center. When you put all that together and you understand that Football 101 tells you that offensive lines specifically will always pick up run blocking first, it is the easier part of the game. And the most difficult part of the game is to pass protect. Well, then you have to understand what what you expected you look at the fact that the giants okay they did not have a great passing attack a lot of that has to do with the wide receiving core all right we know about the 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 production that wasn't there from the from the skill positions well yeah part of that was on them part of that was on the pass rush that was getting through because it is extremely difficult to pick up pass protection right out of the box okay and what do I, I just said this on a podcast with somebody. They had me on last week. And I said, you know what's really funny? The people who want to bash these young kids who were in there and trying to work together as a unit for the first time, they seem to forget that their, their poorest grades were on the hardest assignments. And that is pass protection against blitzes and stunts. And when you look at the defensive fronts that the Giants played last year, it wasn't just a final exam it was a final exam to the third degree because they were going up against some of the best of the best you would have been a fool to expect that they would hold up at a high level given their lack of experience 
And then the other part to this equation, and I know I'm going to run long here, Lance, but the other part of it is always also very simple, and that is this. A rookie, many coaches will tell you in every sport, the best thing about a rookie is he gets to be a sophomore in his next year because rookies make a ton of inherent mistakes. And the idea when you bring a rookie onto your team and you play him, the idea is he is going to be a lot better in year two. He will improve. He will get better. That's the entire premise of playing a rookie in his rookie season. So every dolt out there who says the young Giants offensive lineman didn't do so well, so automatically they stink, and I expect them to be exactly the same or worse as they were in 2020? That is such a ridiculous premise. Could it happen? Sure. Any player could regress. But the idea is when you commit to these kids and you play them as rookies, that they will be better for it in year number two and then even better in year number three. Why is it so hard for people to recognize that? Well, because I think it goes back to the life philosophy of instantaneous gratification. I think this is beyond football. You want a player to come in, you want him to be a finished product, and that's just not realistic. Plus, if you look at Andrew Thomas, I think Andrew Thomas is an example of what you just laid out, the fact that he came in, he was tested very early, had his ups and downs, and I think as the season progressed, he improved, which is what you want to see out of a young player. And now you want to see him then take another step forward as a sophomore. It's interesting because I wrote down this quote Dave Gettleman, and this is exactly worded the way he said it, quote, he said, at some point in time, you've got to let the young guys play, end quote. And he was answering that based on questions about the direction of the offensive line and if he'd be comfortable having Andrew Thomas and Matt Parrott be the two tackles next season. And that was one of his reactions, which is you invested these guys in the draft. Eventually, you got to rip the Band-Aids off and say, guys, go in there and play. And we have to expect there's going to be ups and downs. Not everything's going to be smooth. But you figure they're going to get better as a result of giving them playing time early on. And the other thing he emphasized connected to that is how just the philosophy of football has changed through the draft where you used to be able to bring in players, and I'm going back maybe a decade or so in this, where they played three to four years in college. You never had to worry about, well, he only played one or two years in college. What is his upside going to be two to three years down the road? You felt better about who you're investing in. Now, the players are younger and younger. And if they started college earlier, they're even younger. And they redshirt. And you're bringing them in. And all of a sudden, you know, they just turned 20 years old. You just can't expect them to be able to handle themselves against big-time veterans on the opposite side on the defensive line. So it's a little bit difficult to project. You also need to be a little bit more patient in terms of the developmental process just because the game of football is a young man's game now, especially on the offensive line where you're not getting a player who is going to be selected, Paul, that started on the offensive line or better yet, let's take it a step further, or started, let's say, at left tackle for three to four years. He may have had one year at tackle, so by the time he's a rookie in the NFL, this is now year two, and also there's an upgrade in terms of the talent that he's going up against. So when you take all of those characteristics into consideration, it's not a surprise that very few anchors on the offensive line come in and dominate in year number one. You know, I remember when Jumbo Elliott was taken out of Michigan in the second round, 
okay? I love to use him as an example because when Jumbo got to the Giants as a rookie, you know, he, he started a handful of games, but he was, for the most part, a reserve. He was a second-round pick out of a very, very powerful and, and terrific program with the Wolverines. So they knew, you know, that this guy's going to be one of the foundations of our offensive line for years to come. But, you know, they had William Roberts at one tackle on the left side. They had Doug Riesenberg on the right side. Guys who were good, they were happy with. Roberts turned out to be really terrific as a guard, wound up going to a Pro Bowl. But, you know, Riesenberg was a very serviceable right tackle. So they they didn't want to throw Jumbo in there immediately and say, okay, as a rookie, you're going to be a full-time starter. No, because that team, that team understood that, okay, we really like this kid. He deserves to get some snaps. There's some injuries going on. He's going to play. He's getting his feet wet. And Jumbo struggled. If you had a chance to talk to him today, he will tell you. He struggled a lot as a rookie. There was a lot to learn. Well, what happened in his second season? All of a sudden now, Jumbo Elliott becomes a starter. And he's a staple on that Giants offensive line for many years, starting at left tackle and eventually wound up going to a Pro Bowl. And, oh, yeah, by the way, won a Super Bowl against Buffalo at the end of the 90 season. I mean, that's the progression that Joe Judge wants for guys like Parrott, guys like Lemieux. Obviously, Thomas was thrown in as a starter immediately. He didn't wait and get his feet wet. He was in there from the get-go. But that's, that's what we're talking about here. That's how it's supposed to work. And that's what the Giants are hopeful for with the guys that they have now. I'm not saying they can't draft another offensive lineman because I think they should draft one at some point during the selection process in April to enhance the depth and the competition. I do believe that. But I don't need, think they need to draft one on the first or second day to, to get a guy who's going to be a plug-and-play starter. I don't, I don't think they need to do that. I just don't. I would agree with you in terms of the depth and the competition because I think there's no reason why some of the guys that started last year shouldn't be pushed and shouldn't come into this season thinking that they have their jobs locked up. Yeah, so that's absolutely. Why, you, you, don't, you don't just give it to them. That's yeah. not that, you know, you don't take it for granted. It's great if you can get a guy in the fourth or fifth round who may be able to surprise, accelerate quickly, and push somebody. That would be terrific. I'd be fine with that. Plus, I think versatility is key, too, especially if you could bring somebody in that has some experience at guard and tackle, so this way maybe they can compete with multiple players for a potential starting job. I want to get into a few other things later in terms of the logistics of the offseason, but before we open up the phone lines, a few other things in terms of personnel that was discussed, and I want to stay on the offensive side of the ball, Paul. Evan Ingram and Daniel Jones both came up. No surprise, because they come up a lot on this program. <laughs> Joe Judge made it very clear, and he used the term loves Evan Ingram when asked about that. And I feel as if we're beating a dead horse because we constantly have very similar conversations. But the way that I would best summarize at least my takeaway, Paul, is public perception of Evan Ingram is very different than the perception of him within the building. Yeah, I, that's how I would best classify his status with respect to the roster. And then the other thing, real quick, before I get your reaction, Paul, is Daniel Jones came up because both Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman were asked about the current quarterback market, the fact that there's been a lot of trades and there's been a lot of movement and maybe some guys are available perhaps based on the rumorville. So does that change the Giants' philosophy about what they're looking at the quarterback position? And they both made it very clear, Daniel Jones is their guy. And the goal is for him to continue to show improvement. What Dave Gettleman also tacked on to that, which was similar to his perspective on the offensive line is, 
two years as a starting quarterback, we're talking about Daniel Jones, the instantaneous gratification that after two years, he's going to wow everybody, he should have been to two Pro Bowls, and he should have taken this team to the promised land, is just an unrealistic perspective. That's not to say that you don't want to see him make a jump in year three, okay? So don't misinterpret what I'm saying. But once again, the goal is here, you want to continue to see improvement as opposed to all of a sudden thinking Daniel Jones is the guy after just two years. Well, you know, Lance, part of the problem is that every once in a while there'll be an outlier who comes in at the quarterback position and, you know, does a lot better than people expected. For example, Baker Mayfield. Well, you think that's fair? In terms of the fluctuation of his play? No, no. When he first came in as a rookie, he made he made more big plays and kind of grabbed some headlines and, and kind of added some excitement from the very get-go. He came right out of the box, yeah. and he did some good things, right? He had a very good rookie year. Right? Yeah. Now, you know, whether or not we think of him long-term or not as a quality quarterback, that's not the point of what I'm trying to make here. I'm simply saying that for every rookie quarterback who comes right out of the box, gets thrown in, and makes some plays, he immediately, immediately sticks to everybody's mind and memory banks, and they say, well, why can't every rookie quarterback do that? And that's the unrealistic expectation that occurs when you have a few outliers who do it. People forget the other 85% of rookie quarterbacks who got rookie snaps and had to struggle. You follow? I completely follow. The one thing, though, I wanted to jump in here, and I think Baker is in interesting parallel, you could argue Daniel Jones came in and had a very good rookie year, though, Paul, I would oh, say. Oh, yeah, Similar no, to no, Baker. No. I, look, I think Daniel Jones had a quality rookie year, and – you and I and Dan and John, we've all discussed this. For people who understand football and dig into the roots of the game, Daniel Jones progressed last year. You know, the common thought out there amongst many scribes is that he went the other way. That's incorrect. Daniel Jones showed improvement last year. And every coach and scout that I have talked to around the NFL and even in college has said the same thing to me. They love this kid, and they're very optimistic about him. And that's coming from people outside the building who have been in football for their, their careers and their lives. So people who know what they're talking about are high on Daniel Jones, and they have a reason to be. Having said that, it's not in concrete yet. He still has a way to go. There's still part of that show-me thing going on with this quarterback. But the point is that every rookie quarterback – who has ever come in and made something of a splash has done a disservice to every single other rookie quarterback in this league because people immediately expect a high level of gratification. I wasn't trying to diss Daniel's rookie season, but I think you understand a little better what I was trying to say. 100%. I didn't take it that way. I just found it very interesting. You brought up Baker Mayfield, and if you were to ask me about both of those quarterbacks, the common theme is, the common theme to me is they both came in year one, had very good rookie years, which I think is a fair way to describe it, especially if you look at it from a statistical standpoint. Remember, Baker Mayfield set the rookie passing touchdown record before, obviously, Justin Herbert broke that record. Well, so that's my point. With that's a my big point. bang. And Daniel Jones had quality numbers in terms of touchdown to interception ratio. But then I would argue both of them in their second year, 
you had new play callers, the environment changed. It didn't go as smoothly statistically, so it could be viewed as, okay, you didn't see the progression as you had hoped, at least from a number standpoint, and now you'd like to see them bounce back in year three. Now, for Baker, because remember, Baker's a year ahead of Daniel Jones, it happened for Baker in year three. He's coming off a very good year. You want to see the same thing with Daniel, and perhaps what helps Daniel is finally he's going to have the same offensive coordinator in back-to-back years, which he did not have the luxury of having so far throughout the last few years. And let's not forget, through his first two years, how many times has he had his full complement of high-level skill position players around him? And that's another factor. That's why I always bring up environment. I mean, we could sit here and talk all you want about the distance of the throws and what Daniel Jones did in terms of decision-making. You just you can't dismiss the environment as well. Limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games at world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com suites for more information. Let's open up the phone lines. We check in with Josh in Los Angeles. Josh, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hey, you doing, guys? Good, um... right. Uh, my uh, my confusion is with uh, is with Gettleman's position on on Daniel Jones and, and his confidence kind of in in uh, in him. And I understand it. You now nobody can do it and just you know come out of the box and just be amazing. Very few can do that. But there's there seems like I question the the pieces that they put around him and the kind of the structure. It's it's like there's no competition and there's no and there's no like there's no focus on maybe putting somebody you know, behind him, that might be better than, you know, that's, that's got a quality on, that's got experience, a veteran, somebody that can teach him, that can also challenge him. It just seems like it's like they're, they're just, hey, you, you've got the job, no problem, don't worry about it. You know, fumble the ball, you know, every other time somebody slaps at it, and uh, it's, it's just frustrating. It seems like they could maybe spend more time with that, working on developing him in another way, like just, it, it's just, too blind. I, I just feel too blind the way they have the confidence in him. Well, as far as a veteran quarterback, remember, the problem with today's NFL is most teams don't have the luxury to sign a veteran quarterback who can truly be a starter because the money and the cap space just doesn't allow you to do that. For example, Andy Dalton went to the Cowboys, and Andy Dalton made some good money, especially since he became a starter. And you look at the Cowboys had Kyle Orton one year, and he was making almost $6 million. You just you can't afford to sign a veteran quarterback like that. That's why you try to maximize a guy in a rookie contract and you play him as much as you can so you get a better idea. They brought in Colt McCoy. He didn't break open the piggy bank, so they had a quality veteran backup who helped them win a game or two. But yeah. your point about trying to bring somebody in, if you are going to bring somebody in that is a legitimate contender for a starting job, Josh, you're going to have to spend money, and that's not a position that most teams can afford to do. I mean, uh, I mean does, it, does it have to be guaranteed that Daniel has the job? That that you know that that uh, that that backup couldn't be you know competitive for that job for the position. Uh, just it just seems I don't know that, that there's just so much blind 
confidence in him. And it's not I, blind I confidence. It's actually right there on the, on the face of your nose if you're willing to look at it. I, I don't know. I don't. There's something. I, I feel like there's some something missing from from him from his game sometimes. But just like I don't know if he's got it. And I mean, obviously time will tell. But well, you know, to be fair, and and I, I look, I want to I want to be fair about this whole thing. I think yeah. what you're what you're looking at is a guy who has dealt with three different coaches, three different offensive coordinators in the last three years. He's dealt with a suspect skill position group around him because they've been banged up or just not produced at the level they were supposed to. You've dealt with uh, a rebuilt offensive line that in the last two years has totally been reshuffled. I, I mean, let's just to be fair, you know, Johnny Unitas, Dan Marino, Warren Moon, you know, Joe Montana could be quarterbacking under these conditions, and they would probably have some of the same struggles that are perplexing you right now. And I would say Josh Allen, to me, is a great example, and appreciate the phone call, Josh, of a quarterback who came in, didn't have a great environment, had a very rough offensive line, was the leading rusher his rookie year because mainly had to run for his life, and then little by little what the Bills did was they improved the offensive line. They acquired Stephon Diggs. They brought in some other wide receivers, a mixture of tight ends. They've invested in the run game through the draft, and you improve the environment around the quarterback, which helps then develop the quarterback. So I think that's the primary goal with the Giants. Now, Allen, you could argue maybe it happened a little faster. Okay, I'll give you that. But you can't dismiss what the quarterback is working with and the stability around the quarterback and expect all of a sudden to snap your fingers and everything all of a sudden falling into place. Let's head back to the phone lines. Jake is in Brooklyn. He joins us now. What's happening, Jake? Hey, how you guys doing, man? Good to talk to you. Hi. Doing all right, Jake. Uh, what do you got for us? I think the thing, I think the thing with um, – you guys were referring to Kim Jones's uh, question earlier about the offensive line. I think that just the overall, uh, you know, synopsis line, is just fans are just – I think we're at the point now, Gentleman's in his fourth year. All right? The average NFL plays – you know, career is three and a half, four years. We can't keep moving the goalposts down with him. He needs to start winning. Like he said, she, she asked him a question about the offensive line. He referred to her as being young, which is, I think that's, that's true. There's some truth in that. But we can't, it, it, it has to come a point in time where Gettleman has to win. I mean, he has to win. I mean, I don't think anybody disputes that. Building plan. No, 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 no. Look, look, I don't, I don't think you're saying anything that's out of line. Dave Gettleman knows he's got to complete the turnaround. The Giants front office knows he's got to complete the turnaround. The hope was originally that the turnaround would be done in 2020, but because the rip-down was a little bit more substantial than they wanted it to be, and then, of course, you know, they had they had some issues with some of the lineup changes and some of the coaching staffs that, you know, had done what they had done, you know, it got delayed a little bit. Okay, so it happens. And then Saquon Barkley goes and gets hurt. A guy who's supposed to be a 2,000-yard line for, line for, uh, you know, yards from scrimmage guy gets eliminated from the lineup. These things can happen. So no, what you do is so what you do is you say, okay, you know, I've, I've said I saw it as a three-phase plan. You say, okay, the three-phase plan got set back by a little bit because of things that maybe he could not control, and you give him that one more year to say, Okay, realistically speaking, this should be the year that the Giants make a bona fide run at a playoff spot. 
And I right. think and, I think that's what you and I should both be saying and looking at. And Paul, I give you credit because you're the one guy on here who's been preaching urgency. Which I, I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. That's the one thing I think fans are. are, are it's not so much that you know that we're, we we try not to be the. If you look back, let's just give you a scenario. If you look back at the 2018 draft, right? It's when Gettleman's first year. Right. You look at the first 20 picks that I draft. Okay. There's, there's some there's some teams in there who pick twice because of trades or whatever. There are two teams in those first 20 picks who have either stayed the same or have gotten worse. Those two teams are the Jets and the Giants. You look at every other team in, that, in those first 20 picks, every other team, they've either you know, gone to the playoffs, they've contended. It's time for him to win, Paul. It's time. I, hey, <laughs> you're not going to get any arguments from me. I, I do believe that the blueprint is coming to maturity this season. I firmly believe that. And, 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 you know, if you look at it, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to really quickly rattle off some of these names. Mayfield, Darnold, Bark, Barkley, Ward, Chubb, Nelson, Allen, uh, Smith, McGlinchey. Uh, well, guess what? Barkley's really the only one of those guys who, who lost the season because he was injured. All, all of those other guys have given those teams who drafted them the kind of production that they expected when they plucked the guy out of college. Barkley certainly did until he got hurt, and it basically, you know, threw a big bucket of cold ice on last year's team. And and oh, you got to be fair I about agree. that too. I agree. So, I just, I, Jake, I just think we we've reached a point. We just, just last thing we just we reached a point here now, guys. I mean, this isn't this isn't the old NFL. This isn't baseball where you draft a guy from the International Pool League at sixteen and you build him up for five to six years. Four years in the NFL is an eternity, an eternity. Remember one thing, rule of thumb, right, is that by the third year, your draft pick has to come to maturity. He's got to show what he is, right? Well, this is Daniel Jones' third year. He takes a big step this year, and that is a big step towards the Giants becoming the playoff team that Dave Gettleman has tried to draw a blueprint for. And right? four years may be an eternity, but in fairness, it hasn't been a consistent four years. There's been a few different coaches, a few different coordinators within that four years. And when you keep turning the tables around like that, it's hard to build consistency. And as far as those 20 teams that he was referring to that picked in the 2018 draft, uh, let's not make it sound like all of those teams have made the playoffs every single year within that span. No, no, I would say some of them have flashed, but there hasn't necessarily been consistency. Of the teams just perusing, I'd say the Colts have done a nice job really establishing some stability. The Bills, too. They picked sixth and seventh in that draft. Denver picked five. Okay, Denver hasn't necessarily been a consistent team in the AFC. The Cleveland Browns, okay, finally got on the right track in 2020. Let's see if that continues. So, you know, the more and more you peel back the layers, the Dolphins finally got a taste, and they didn't even make the playoffs. They were the 11th overall team to select that year. The Raiders, okay, they haven't been able to right the ship. They were 15th in the draft. I don't think that was his point, though, Lance. I think his point was of you look at the high picks in that draft, and those guys produced at a level that certainly made market improvement to their teams. Not necessarily their contenders or their playoff teams, but you saw those teams' arrows pointing in the right direction. And I think that's fair. And, and Barkley was certainly helping the arrow go to the right direction until he got hurt. Of course. What are you yeah. do? And he's really been banged up the last two seasons, Paul. Let's not yeah. forget about that. That's, that's fair. So that's fair. if you don't have the guy on the field consistently, you're not getting the true reward out of the draft right. pick. Right. 
Yeah. Exactly, which is why you, you can't blame Gettleman for that. You just can't. Let's head back to the phone lines here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Len is in Columbia, Maryland. What's happening, Len? Hey, guys. How you doing? Um, right. I'll try to make it quick at, at John's request. Um, y- you know, with, with regard to the, to, the, to the last call, first of all, I want to say I'm, I'm glad they did the interview, and I enjoyed both of them, and I thought they were both pretty good. Uh, I like Dave a little more. He seemed to kind of have, he seemed to be really into it. Joe looked a little robotic in his answers, but um, he, he was good, too, and, I'm, and I really am glad they did it. Listen, I think the last caller hit on something, and as I was dialing, I was thinking, oh, man, he stole my thunder. But I'll try to say it in a little different way. I didn't hear the urgency, guys. I didn't hear the urgency. Uh, the last caller was right. It's been a long time. Um, you know, the best Dave could do when, when the question was posed to him about what do you expect this year, all he could say was, and I, I mean it that way, all he could say was, we're going to try to get better. We're going to get better. It's time to say, after four years now, this will be his fourth crack at it, it's time to make the playoffs. He didn't have to say we're going to make it, but he could have pulled it to Tino and said it's time to make the playoffs. We're going to make a challenge. Len, Len, to be fair, hold on, hold on, I'm with you. Len, Len, I'm with you. Um, I really am with you in terms of philosophy, but I also believe that there is also a a prevailing wisdom often amongst coaches and front office people not to use that word. It's just a a general philosophy. Dave Gettleman may believe that in his head, that this is a team that needs to make the playoffs, but he's not going to say it because there have been so many folks in his chair over the years in this league and in all sports who refuse to utter that word. It's okay. like a no-no. Well, and then on top of that, Len, of yes. the 32 teams of the NFL, yes. they enter every single season. Which of the 32 teams goes into the season saying, I don't want to make the playoffs? Well, Tell no, me a team no, that goes into every season no. saying, I don't want to make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I, I just no, think it's silly it's analyzation that we're sitting here needing to hear what you're yearning for when every front office will tell you the goal is you want to make the playoffs, period. Just because you don't vocalize it doesn't mean you're not expecting it or hoping for it. Lance, you're talking to fans. I mean, you're talking to fans. Paul may be right about inside the industry they don't use those words, but this is the word fans use. Let me, well, that's let me okay. give you a stat. Let me, yeah, let me Len, give you a qu- So you can Len. think that way. Nobody's taking that away right. from you. All right. All right. Exactly. I'm well, yeah. Hey, exactly. I, I'm the one who called up. Of course it's my point of view. Sure. I mean, yeah, but, sure. But, but you but can't, me, you can't me, criticize me, him. You can't criticize him for not using a word that you prefer to use. That's exactly. not on him. He, 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 he has a right oh, to yeah. use whatever word he wants. Of course he can, Paul. But, right. I, but, uh, but I can be critical of the word he picks. Or the way he answers it, and that's what it's I'm being. It's a free country. Of. I think I think anybody let me, let me can use whatever words they want. I I don't I I think the most important thing is that Dave believes in his heart of hearts and with the decisions and moves that he makes, that he has got this team uh, evaluated in its proper position, so that he can add what he needs to add to get where you want him to go. And I, I really believe yeah. that his heart and okay. his mind is in the right place. Okay, let me, let me lay out a, you know, a stat for you as, as the last thing I say this afternoon. 32 teams, I'm, I'm going back nine years now, 32 teams in the NFL. Only one team in the last nine years has not made the playoffs. That's the Jets. 
There have been four teams who have made the playoffs once, out of those, including Tampa Bay and Cleveland this year. Right. Of those, of those four teams, only one is one and done. Who is that? It's the Giants. I put them 31st out of 32 when you rate them in terms of playoffs and whether they achieve that goal that every team has at the beginning of the season. Hey, one more thing. What's your guess? There's only two hours left. What's the big news? What do you think the big news is going to be this afternoon? Are we we going to hear some some bombshell news on Shoulder or Williams or something like that? I'd really like your take on that. Hey, thanks for taking my call. All right, Len, appreciate the phone call. Well, we're about to wrap up the program, but, I mean, in in terms of surprises, let's see if the tag deadline does hold till 4 p.m. Eastern. That's number one. And then, like I said, I don't think the Giants need to make a decision on some of the other guys because the new league year doesn't start till the 17th, Paul. So it's not as if you have to have a firm decision. But we'll get more thoughts on that, obviously, as we move forward to Wednesday's program. Certainly appreciate everybody tuning in, and thanks for listening. Today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants Podcast Network, brought to you by Investors Bank, on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. will be back up and running noon Eastern on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. We're out.